Well, I am really, really excited to be uh, to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you today, and I'm really excited. We're starting a brand new teaching series that will last us the next six weeks um, as we head up toward Easter, and it's a series called, uh, you might have guessed it, it's called You Got This, and uh, the, one, the part of the video that got me the most was the daughter and the, the, the dad at the wedding. That's, I'm going to have a hard time. We've got three daughters ourselves, so. but uh, I do believe that uh, no matter what you're going through, I do believe this with all my heart. Um, that you've got this, because I believe that God has a plan, right, and that God is with you. And so this series is going to be an exciting series. It's all about identity. It's all about who we are in Christ. And the challenge, what I want to encourage us to think about is just looking at ourselves through God's lens. Um, Who does God see you as? And I'm going to challenge you to that today and throughout this series. Um, Life can get really discouraging, right? It can get really hard. It's a battle every day sometimes. Um, when, <laughs> when we were raising our oldest daughter, um, she's uh, 12 now, but when she was going through the potty training stages between ages like two and ages three, uh, she got number one down pretty easy. Number two is a little more challenging. So one of the things that we would do was she would sit on the little potty trainer and she would squeeze as hard as she could <laughs> to work on that. And she's just a very, you have to know her personality a little bit, but she'd squeeze and squeeze. So we kind of developed this thing where she would say, Daddy, help me. I was like, well, <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, I'll pray for you. Like, is that, you know? Uh, but she would want me to squeeze her, like to give her a hug, like a bear hug and squeeze her and help her to squeeze. <laughs> and so one day we were doing that and she goes, Daddy, it's not working. It's not <laughs> And so uh, that's kind of just how I feel about life sometimes, right? Like we can relate to that. It's just like, uh, God, it's not working. Like this is hard. And this is a struggle. But I just want to encourage us. I do believe that God wants to say to us that you've got this. Amen, church? That God wants to encourage you. So what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to take uh, one chapter per week in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to pull out six different I am statements. And I'm so excited to see how God will help get these deep into our hearts um, to help shape and form our identity. Our first one today is the phrase, I am chosen. And we are having different artists in our church uh, paint. So this first one on uh, your far left is, says, I am chosen in the center. That's actually the shape of a heart. And uh, is uh, painted by Alexandra Beattie, who's one of our, our church attenders here. She did a fantastic job, didn't she? Uh, yeah, we can give her a hand. Um, thank her. And uh, if it was me, it'd be like in Sharpie, and you'd barely be able to read it. And so... So thankful that she was willing to use her gifts to do that. So each week we're going to be adding to the wall behind me to just reinforce um, our identity in Jesus Christ. Guys, this is such an important topic. Uh, If you're drawing your identity from places other than God, uh, you're going to be lost. Um, This is such an important question. The question really is the question we all wrestle with. It's who are you? It's who are you? Who are you? We all struggle with it. In the early years, we usually look to our parents for the answer, right? Who do dad and mom say that I am? That's why those early years are so formative and so important. In middle school and high school, who do we usually ask that question? Who do our peers say that I am, right? That's usually what we're asking. When we're in early college or early career, we're usually asking the question, who do I say that I am, right? This one's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm kind of experiencing, I'm in this stage a little bit. The middle years, the question's interesting. It's, is this really who I am? <laughs> Midlife crisis, 
I want to be somebody else. Is this really who I am? I thought it would be somebody different. Um, and then later on in life, I think the question is, uh, who will I be remembered as? How will people remember me? But it's all a question of identity, right? Identity is so important because uh, everything you do in life flows out of who you think that you are. You guys tracking with that? Yeah. Everything you do in life flows out of who you think you are. So we want to ask this question, who does God say that you are? I find that people who struggle with the identity question usually struggle with everything else in life. Purpose, motivation, meaning, it's such an important question. If you can identify who you are, I believe that you can identify what you're supposed to do. I also believe that who you are is inextricably tied to who God is is. If you want to know who you are, I want to challenge you to get to know who God is. It makes sense, right? He made you. He's your creator. So who you are is tied to who he is. A great philosopher by the name of A.W. Tozer in the book Knowledge of the Holy, he said, we can never know who we are or what we are until we know at least something of who or what God is. Would you agree with this? So the question is, who does God say that you are? Who does God say that you are? So I'm really excited to be walking through the book of Ephesians. In fact, you can turn there in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen for you if that's a help. The book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to a group of Christians who were living in a city in the first century known as Ephesus. Ephesus uh, was a great, huge metropolis. But in the middle of all this, in the first chapter of Ephesians, the theme of the first chapter of Ephesians is this theme right here. I am chosen. I am chosen. Uh, to be chosen is this. To be chosen is to be selected with purpose and with love. Sounds pretty cool, right? To be chosen, to be selected with purpose and love. Here's what a couple of verses in Ephesians 1 says. Paul reminds us that God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in God's sight. What else does it say? In love, God predestined. Everybody say predestined. Yeah, we're going to go there for a little bit today. We'll see how this works out. For adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So I want you to hear these verses through the lens of the first century hearers. So they're living in Ephesus, which at the time was the fourth largest city in the world, is a thriving metropolis. In fact, Paul preached in one of the amphitheaters there that can seat 25,000 people. Okay, so they were not primitive beings. Like this is an advanced civilization and culture, but it's also a very strongly pagan culture. They worshiped the god Artemis and they had temples built to her. So it was a, a pagan, secular culture, but there's a group of Christians who lived there who have said yes to Jesus. The gospel was brand new, right? Jesus had just been raised from the dead less than 100 years prior to this. So they're believing in the good news about Jesus. They're followers of Jesus, but they feel isolated. They feel like the minority. They feel like there's nobody else who's following Jesus like they are. Does that make sense? It's a culture that we can relate to. And it's in the middle of this culture and this group of Christians that Paul reminds them, no, you're not outcast. In fact, it's just the opposite. You are chosen by God. Does that make sense? Amen, church? Amen. You are chosen by God. 
You're special. Um, you guys remember those awkward playground experiences where you'd pick two captains, everybody line up, and they choose teams? Anybody else scarred from those types of things growing up? Yeah. Yeah, as a kid, I was a pretty scrawny kid. Uh, not much has changed. Um, but I was not usually very high in the list until they learned how fast I was, or maybe they learned about the heart that I had inside of me. But those moments are never fun, right? When you're the last one getting picked, and it's like they're picking somebody who's not even playing, you know, instead of you. It's not fun. But that moment you get chosen, it's like, woo, all right, I'm on a team, right? Somebody picked me. Somebody picked me. What Paul is saying is, hey, guys, you need to know that God chose you, that God chose you. I love this thought. This thought challenged me uh, the past couple of months as I've been preparing for this. It's okay. It's chapstick. Um, uh, this thought that out of 8 billion people in the world, God chose you. God chose you. The question exists, though, what did God choose you for, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Did he pick you to be on his team? Like, what does that mean? What did God choose you for? And so Paul talks about a couple things that that means in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and here's the first thing. It's that God chose you to have a relationship with him. I want you guys to think about the power of that statement. That the God of the universe chose you to have a relationship with him. It uses the word adoption, right? Which is a relational word. That God chooses to be our heavenly father. God chose to be your heavenly father. He wanted to be your heavenly father. And he chose you to be his, his spiritual daughter, his spiritual son. I love this uh, story of a kid um, who was adopted he was at school, and he was getting picked on by other kids because of being adopted. And they are kind of laughing at him and making fun of him. But his response was this. He said, I'm not sure why you're laughing. Your parents had to keep you. My parents chose me. <laughs> right? I love that. I love that. My parents chose me. Um, last summer, I had the privilege of, of taking what's called a sabbatical um, and it's an extended break to rest. But one of the other things or purposes of a sabbatical is for pastors to be able to study and research and work through different theological things that maybe we don't have time to work on um, the other you know, times when we're doing everything else. And so one of the topics I had wanted to dig into a little bit more was the idea of predestination. Because uh, there's kind of two polar extremes. There's this guy in history named John Calvin um, who looks at scripture and says, you know, I see all these things that says that God knew I was going to be saved ahead of time. He predestined me. He elected me. So he kind of developed this theology uh, known, as, known as Reformed theology that says, you know, God knows who's going to be saved and there's really no choice that we have or no free will. That's kind of that end of the spectrum. Another guy comes along in history. His name is Jacob Arminius. And Jacob Arminius says, you know what, I read scripture and I see Verses that talk about the other side of it, that we do have free will, that we do have to choose to follow after God, we do have to choose to believe. And so these guys are kind of on different sides of the spectrum. So a book that I read is called Chosen But Free by Norman Geisler. And in the book, the argument is simply this, that the answer is both. <laughs> that, that God chose us, but then we also have to choose God. And so I read these verses, and these verses were encouraging me. I kind of come more from the stream of you have to choose God. 
But I read some of these things, and it just became an encouragement to my heart and my spirit. So the first verse is John 6, verse 40. Um, This is Jesus. He said, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have what? Shall have eternal life. That if you choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus, God gives you eternal life. A few verses later, four verses later, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, But no one can come to the Father... Um, who sent me, I'm sorry, no one can come unless the Father who sent me, what does it say? Draws him. (laughs) So it's like, wait, wait, which is it? Like, do I get to just choose or does God draw me? The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. The basic truth of the Bible is that no one can come to God unless God is at work drawing them to him. But then as God draws, then you have to also receive and say yes to that. So what that did, though, in my heart was that it encouraged me and reignited a passion and love for God inside of me that says, you know what? God chose me. How incredible is that? That God wanted me to be saved. God wanted me to have a relationship with him. I didn't just wander into this thing called faith, but God drew me to himself. Isn't that awesome? Um, someone once asked a little boy uh, if, he, if he found Jesus. And he replied, uh, I didn't know he was lost. <laughs> but he said, uh, I was lost, and he found me. Isn't that awesome? Some of my observations as I was working through this this past summer were this, that I tend to believe that Arminianism that we choose um, tends to produce weak Christians because we don't acknowledge God's sovereign plan to save us. So what you find is people who are continually questioning their salvation and wondering if God loves them or doesn't love them and kind of waffling in their faith. Does that make sense? Uh, because we minimize the election of God. I think what I find on the other extreme is that Calvinism tends to produce prideful Christians because they don't acknowledge or we don't acknowledge our need to walk in the grace of God. In other words, we minimize our part in growing in grace. The answer is both are true. God chose us. We also say yes to him. One of the questions that comes up is, how do I know if I'm chosen? How do I know if I'm chosen to be in Christ or to be saved? Um, the way that you know you're chosen is if there's evidence of God in your life. Let me ask a couple questions. These are rhetorical. You don't have to answer, but... Just think about them. Do you hunger to know God? Do you have a hunger to know God? Do you have a vital and growing relationship with Jesus? Do you see God's supernatural strength at work in your life? Another question, are you filled with joy to serve others? One of the things that God does, right, is he helps us become less selfish (laughs) and we learn to find a joy in serving other people. Um, Like parenting, like that's part of it, right? Um, Are you convicted and remorseful of sin? Are you humble and growing in grace? Are you trusting in Christ? These are all signs of God's amazing work um, in our lives. One thing I want to point out to you guys, I'm kind of stating the obvious, is uh, you're here, aren't you? There's a lot of people not here. I don't mean like here, here, I just mean in these types of places, (laughs) There's a lot of people who aren't seeking God. There's a lot of people who maybe aren't being drawn, or if they're being drawn, they're resisting God. You're at least here. 
God is at work in your life. Amen? There's a pastor by the name of Henry Ironside. Give me one of those pastor names, right? <laughs> Henry Ironside. It's like, wow. Um, when he was asked to explain the doctrine of election, uh, he was talking with a friend, and his friend described it this way, uh, kind of with a southern uh, slang, let me do my best, don't judge me. Um, he said, well, it's this way. The Lord, Lord done voted for my salvation. The devil done voted for my damnation. I done voted with the Lord, so we got the majority. I like that explanation. So God chose you to be in a relationship with him. Amen. Thank you, God. We're chosen. The second thing is this that we see from Ephesians 1, is that God chose you to be filled with his spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, God says yes to giving you his Holy Spirit basically equipping you to live the life that he has made you to live. The Bible says that we become co-heirs with Christ. An heir is somebody who receives an inheritance from their dad, right? And the Bible says that we become co-heirs with Jesus. So Jesus, the Son of God, has access to all that God has access to, and we become co-heirs with Jesus I have a couple family members who adopted kids, and um, these kids become full legal children of their adoptive parents, right? And they have, they have full equal access to inheritance and everything that comes along. Now, we have a lot of pastors in our family, so the inheritances are ginormous, right? But, um, but we have become co-heirs with Jesus, so all the things that Jesus has access to through the, through the Holy Spirit, we have access to through the Holy Spirit. Um, here's what it says on um, Ephesians 1. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So this is going to freak some of you out, but this is just good theology um, God, God's presence, God's power um, lives in you through the Spirit of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have God's presence and God's power at work in your life. The Bible says that this is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. So can I say one more time, you got this, right? If you are, you've got this. God has placed his Holy Spirit in your life. Whatever it is, you got this. You have the strength and power of God at work in you. You guys remember the movie Inside Out? Um, great, great film, great film. Uh, it's great because it just kind of depicts the different emotions in a person's head and kind of what goes on. I like to use the analogy though about the Holy, to think about the Holy Spirit. Now, every analogy breaks down at some point. Please don't like say I'm a heretic or whatever. I know that, but but just think about the fact that God, um, the Holy Spirit, is a part of your everyday life, helping you, strengthening you, encouraging you. You're tempted to get into a fight with your spouse. The Holy Spirit is there going, don't, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go there. You're tempted to cut corners at work or something. It's like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And then there to encourage us when we do mess up and draw us back to God. Um, scholars believe that Paul used the idea, the imagery of a deposit 
partially uh, for the Ephesians' uh, sake, for the, the people living there, one of the industries that existed in Ephesus uh, was a logging industry. It was a port city, and so logging was a big part of one of their industries, and so they would bring logs into the harbor, and then buyers would come, and they would place a deposit, and they would mark those logs, but oftentimes those logs would have to stay there until they had a purpose or use for them or could make arrangements for them. Does that make sense? So that imagery of making a deposit on something uh, meant that this was purchased, that this person is going to return at some point because these things are his. God places a seal on you. That seal is his spirit. What God chooses, um, he doesn't reject. So let me give some application. I want to challenge you with a couple things. First thing that I want to challenge you with, a lot of these come from my own life, but the first thing is this. I want to challenge you, do not devalue what God has said is valuable. A pastor that I listen to every once in a while in Miami, um, I wish Miami was a place I was preaching right now, but um, not because of you guys, but because of the weather. All right, okay, good. Um, but he said this, he said, do not discount what God has paid for in full. I'm tempted, just like any of you, to think that I'm not valuable to God. I'm tempted, just like any of you, to think that my identity comes from my job, or my health, or my money, or my relationships, or anything like that. And what happens is, is if those things are going well, then Josh is happy and life is good. But if those things are not going well, what happens? Then Josh is not happy and life is not good. That shows me that I'm placing my identity in something other than who God says I am. It shows that I'm placing my identity in those external things. Does that make sense? It's so important, though, that I'm drawing my identity from God. Because my identity is not wrapped up in my success in my job. My identity is not wrapped up in my relationship status. My identity is wrapped up in who God says I am. Things my wife and I have been doing lately um, for romantic dates is working out together. Uh, She says I smell really bad. Uh, So I take a shower before I go work out, and then I take a shower after I work out. She says it still doesn't help enough. <laughs> Thankfully, my identity is not wrapped up in how I smell. All right, so, uh, but uh, one of the thoughts I've had recently um, is just, you know, there's a danger, right, in, um, in pursuing anything with your whole heart that you could begin to place your identity in that. So I was just wrestling and just kind of praying as we were going through one of our workouts, just saying, God, um, do I need to be careful that my identity does not get wrapped up in, in my body image? Now, we're not too worried about that, right? Uh, but do I have to be careful? And the answer is yes, right? That any of us could misplace our identity in our health or our body image, whether healthy or unhealthy. But then this was so cool. I felt like as clear as day, I felt like God said something to me in the middle of one of our workouts. And he said this. Uh, he said, uh, Josh, I'm with you whether you're 400 pounds or 40 pounds. That's God's grace, right? That's God's grace. I think some of you need to hear that this morning. Uh, Maybe you've been placing your identity and your body image, whether healthy or unhealthy, and that's misplaced. We're to take, take care of our bodies, yes. Be stewards of them, yes, but not so that God loves you more or your confidence is there, but as an act of worship to God. You know what? And if not, God still loves you, right? Find your identity in him. 
See, a lot of people struggle with gender identity and with sexual attraction. So those are hot topics in our culture. And those are important questions. But the truth is that those things are not who we are. I am more than those things. You guys tracking with me? I am who God says I am. My identity is not wrapped up in a bank statement or relationship status or job. I was made by God on purpose for a purpose. God says that I'm valuable. What does that mean? That I am valuable. So don't listen anymore to the thoughts that say that you're not valuable to God. It's a lie. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You are chosen by God. Second uh, application is this. I want to challenge you to focus on who you are, not on who you're not. It's easy to focus on who we're not, where we fall short, and what we can't do. My hope and prayer for this series is that you'd begin to see yourself the way that God sees you. Amen, church? That you would see yourself the way that God sees you. What I love about that thought is when we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us, our insecurities fall away. Does that make sense? When you see yourself the way that God sees you, you don't have to worry about insecurities. You're secure in who God has made you to be. Um, I want to challenge you not to think about who you're not, but who God is making you to be. So a um, couple of uh, examples. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I don't know if anybody is like me, I'm tempted. I've got one of two choices. I can either lay there and grumble and complain about the day ahead of me. I'm sure no one here has ever done that. Before your feet even hit the ground, like this is going to be an awful day. I don't even know why. I don't even want to get out of bed, right? The challenge is ahead and blah, blah, blah. Or we could say, this is going to be a great day. Not because we're full of positive thinking, but because we believe with our whole heart that God is involved in this day, right? That I am a child of God. I am filled with the Spirit of God. No matter what challenges I face, I have everything I need. Do you agree with this? (laughs) All right. I understand. We're declaring this by faith, aren't we, church? By faith. That I am chosen by God. And that makes all the difference. Um, I've struggled with this as a pastor you know, that I focus more on what I'm not than what I am and what God's doing in me. So I felt challenged a year or two ago to develop some I am statements, um, that this is who I am as a pastor, and this is on the wall of my office. I'll just share with you what these are. Some of these are statements of faith, all right? I am the kind of pastor who gives the church the best version of himself. I am the kind of pastor who prioritizes his family. What that means is I will not sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. I care about you, but I care a lot about my family. I am the kind of pastor who focuses on making his greatest contribution. There's a lot of things that pastors can do, and all of them are good, but I will focus on making my greatest contribution to the church family and to the kingdom of God. I am the kind of pastor who delegates and empowers with authority. I'm the kind of pastor who raises up other leaders. I am the kind of pastor who fosters creativity. I am the kind of pastor who leads courageously with faith. And I am the kind of pastor who operates with integrity. 
I will not take shortcuts to try to accomplish the ministry of the, the mission of God. I want to challenge you to make a couple of your own I am statements. Let me give you some examples. You could say this as a husband. You could say, I am a husband who loves his wife and serves his family by sacrificing his preferences. You could actually just steal that one and take that one, husbands. That's an I am statement, isn't it? I am the kind of husband who. As a mom, you could say, I am the kind of mom who raises her children to follow Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you could say, I am a follower of Jesus who is growing daily in my walk with Christ. Instead of, I'm just, I'm faltering all the time. No, in who, who you are, you're, you're, you're empowered by God. I am a follower of Jesus who is pursuing Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, who's being captivated by Jesus. And there's so many different examples. I want to challenge you to make your own list of I am statements. Who are you in Jesus? And I want to challenge you to stop listening to the voices that say that you are not enough. To call out who you are in Jesus. You are chosen by God. He chose you to have a relationship with him. He chose you to fill you with his spirit and his presence. You are empowered by God. You got this because you are chosen. God loves you and he's at work in your life. Would you guys bow your heads for a second? I want to encourage you just to pray and think for a minute. And ask yourself the question, where am I pulling my identity from? Are you pulling it from being a mom? Are you pulling it from working a certain type of job? Are you pulling it from your performance? Or are you pulling it from your Heavenly Father? I want to give the opportunity for you to trust Christ today. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you would acknowledge God's drawing me, but I've never said yes to him, I want to explain that real quickly and give you an opportunity to do that. Essentially, uh, our sin, our sinfulness, separates us from a holy God. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. And he desires to save you. He desires to be a part of your life. And he made a way for us to have a relationship with him that's life-giving. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God raised him from the dead so that death would no longer have a hold over us. And we can be made right with God. God chose you. If that's you this morning, if you never said, you've never said yes to Jesus, would you raise your hand this morning just acknowledging that you want to say yes to Jesus? You want to you say yes to trusting in Christ. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand so that I can acknowledge that and I can pray for you? Yes, I see the hand in the back. Anybody else this morning say yes. I want to trust Christ. I want to find my identity in him. If that's you, just hold it up so I can see it. And we're going to pray together, church. We're going to pray uh, out loud so no one's praying alone. Would you guys join me in praying? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life and make me brand new.
Holy Spirit, I ask for your help in my life. God, please give me encouragement and strength and hope. I am brand new in Jesus. Amen.